Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast in your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode. Brought to you by who? Well, Cooper Tires. The mighty fine people at Cooper Tires whose amazing products power the road to Indy, of which I'm so thankful I got to see those in person and the fine folks at Cooper Tires. Got to see all my peoples last weekend at Portland. Also going to say a huge thanks to the Justice Brothers. They happened to win a race last weekend at Laguna Seca. Wayne Taylor Racing's number 10 Acura ARX 05 DPI. And then a good, good pals at torontomotorsports.com. Some of you might have seen some tweets and who knows what else is on social media about the Robin Miller charity hat using the amazing phrase or expression that he uttered in a visit to the podcast here a couple years ago. So thanks to Derek and the Toronto Motorsports team and Roger Warwick, our artist friend, for making all those uh, changes and getting the hats done and out to me. And now they are available at torontomotorsports.com if you want one, your fine self. So thanks to all of them. Thanks to all of you. Uh, Thanks to our cats. I have Rocky sleeping on the right, face down, drunk at the bar. I've got Rosie on the left in the window. She's giving me a little side eye right now. I'm disturbing her sleep while talking to y'all. Need to say a massive thanks to you, dear listener. Uh, Last weekend, and I hope I can, this will be the last time I mention it. um, First time at the racetrack in two years for a moto race. First time I got to be a reporter in person doing what I do, writing them word stories shooting them uh, picture videos and uh, whatever else. And, oh, boy, that was... <sighs> if I've ever felt normal, and there's a question mark there, I certainly felt normal for the first time in a long time last weekend. It's a little weird, a little strange. Uh, the old, uh, it's like riding a bike. Well, had a couple people say, oh, you'll be fine. It's like riding a bike. I'm like, yeah, but I used to crash my bike all the time. So I don't know if that's perfect for me here. But nonetheless, so thankful for my wife, not just giving me the green light to go, but urging me to go. And her comment, which I shared with a lot of people, was go be with your people. It was a, it was a really beautiful thing. So I was nervous to leave. I've never been more than about an hour and 45-minute drive away from her for the last two straight years, truly. <laughs> I've been down to Laguna Seca once or twice and blah, 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 but, you know, I've really, truly always been with her at her side for basically two straight years. So the idea of her being at home and me being in a different state, uh, that really is something that took a little while for me to reconcile, but... She put me at ease just before I headed out the door to fly to Portland and said, go be with your people. And so she understood that I needed that nourishment, and I'm so happy that I did go. Um, So when I say thank you to you, uh, I'm saying thank you to those who just sent words of encouragement, support, and everything else through social media Uh, those who texted, and those who were there, who said hello, said whatever, stopped to chat for a moment. Honestly, it's 
It's amazing. Y'all are way too good to me. <laughs> I mean it. Like, uh, I don't know. I still don't get all of it. I really don't. This is never going to make sense to me, but I do appreciate it. Someone gave me a jar of preserves, right? Fruit preserves. Like, who does that? Other than incredible people. So, yeah, I'm just the big softy here saying thank you and appreciating all of you for keeping my spirits up, helping to distract me a little bit, and uh, not be totally freaked out from being away from my wife. So, yeah. And so we've got a couple questions about that. I don't want to make this too much about me, even though I guess I did put my name on the podcast. But, um, yeah, so here we are. I was speaking with Brian Herta earlier today. He's like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to remember how to how to get in the groove here a little bit because it's been a long time, not just since I've been to a racetrack. So I've done that, did the reporting thing, went well. Uh, nobody was harmed in the filming or the reporting of anything. I'm glad to say that. But then the back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, the, all right, get home. Uh, I was smart enough to throw dirty laundry in the dryer or washer and dryer starting at like 11 o'clock Sunday night. And behind me, I've got a video camera charging and microphones charging. And like, okay, I'm actually, normally this stuff is two hours before I fly when I go, oh, I should do those things. Actually doing them in advance. So, but I'm just trying to get in that groove because it's a short turnaround. And then we do Long Beach right after that and close the season and blah, blah, blah. So again, none of these are complaints. It's just like, okay, this dance uh, the physical part's easy. You're either typing or you're picking stuff up. That's the more the mental engagement and getting shifting into gear, not blowing up gears. So uh, it's coming along. It's coming along. Uh, what else can I tell you? Had an amazing dinner Saturday night with our man, Sebastian Bourdais. Some of you also sent in kind notes about our hamburger and French fry show returning and, uh, it, just a blast. Like I think before we did the first one, we, the day before, debated one thing whether we would talk about uh spend you know uh, enough time talking about 9-11 and we did so i'm glad that we did that but uh other than that it's just the resumption in person of a of a relationship that uh, i sure am proud of and uh, the fact that seb and i have become such close friends you all know him as a race car driver obviously that's where i first got to know him but when i see that guy I don't actually think race car driver first. I think a dear friend who uh, just has like a really beautiful heart. So just awesome to see him. Uh, Gave him a big bear hug. I didn't grab his butt, which I said I was going to do, but I did grab him around both arms and pick him up like a log and picked him up off the ground in the Foyt trailer. And they were all a little bit surprised because I don't think they get that kind of, you know, uh, open expression of uh, affection. But we did that nonetheless and had a good laugh. And then on Sunday, uh, some of you in the great Pacific Northwest were able to uh, take part in a little paddock walk or tour. I don't know what you call it, but not wanting to do the live podcasts with our friends on the Cooper Tire stage right now just because the idea of getting... 100 to 150 people together uh with covid still being a thing just like yeah i don't want to be the guy saying yeah i'm the pruitt super spreader uh no so just tried to keep it to a small group everyone masked and being really super cool and it was fun 
So we'll probably try and do one again this weekend at good old Laguna Seca. Um, we'll mention it here. Just we got a lot of questions from folks afterwards, but we'll mention this here. We will be doing this Sunday morning. We have a practice set. I'm sorry, not practice. We have a final warm up session Sunday at uh, from nine to nine thirty, and then the race is at twelve thirty. Right now, let's target. Let's target like ten ish, ten fifteen. Uh, we'll meet in front once again of the Chip Ganassi Racing Hauler. Uh, I'm only aware of one crew day member that doesn't mean that others those of you who are listeners to the podcast aren't welcome and won't be invited to go in whatever little short ish paddock tour because it's not that long there but uh i think there's only one member of the crew day that i know the listener group sub listener group here the show that'll be there uh so they are going to get a tour of the chip ganassi racing hauler like our friend louise smith did last weekend on her birthday her 64th birthday. That was so cool of Mike Hall to do that. And although it wasn't in the little video that I posted, uh, she got to meet, I think, every driver, maybe except for uh, Alex Pillow. I think Alex was busy doing something else. But uh, she got to say hi to Scott Dixon. She got to meet Jimmy Johnson and speak with him for a minute or so. Marcus Erickson stopped by and said hello and then our pal Dario Franchitti also uh, entertained her for a moment or two. No happy birthday song, but just some other fun tales that uh, uh, didn't make it on the, the little video that I posted. But it was just really cool. So going to try and do that as many times as possible in the future. If we don't have a, a live podcast on the Cooper Tire stage, we'll see if I can do some sort of little let's walk through the paddock. Y'all ask questions about whatever. I'll try and answer them, and then I'll point out whatever things that I see. And there were a couple little salty things that I mentioned on our Portland Paddock tour, by the way. So hopefully nobody was filming. Anyways, um, so yeah, again, 10-ish, 10.15 or so uh, in front of Scott Dixon's transporter in uh, the paddock at Laguna. And then, yeah, we'll go for a little walk and talk about IndyCar and be friends of the show. I did mention the Pruday listener group for those of you who would like to quote join. And it's just an informal thing. Uh, if you like bench racing and maybe just making some new friends, uh, I'm not part of it. I'm not a member. Uh, it's just truly just those who like listen to the show, but who have a great affinity for racing and everything else. They're funny as heck. Uh, they're wacky. It's just a great and growing group of members. I think it's over 75 now, maybe. Uh, John Wojnar, Ryan Terpstra, Matt Philpot, Chris Ward, uh, Jeremiah Morell, Sarah Morell. There, there's a bunch of, of key instigators there. So you can reach out to any of them on the social medias. And if you don't remember their names and aren't sure who to connect with, send me a note on uh, Facebook or Twitter or DM me through Instagram, IG, I think. Uh, so anyways, I get a couple folks per week asking, and I always try and forward them to uh, John or Matt or Ryan or whomever who get you uh, inducted. Uh, let's see, last thing or two I can mention. <sighs> Posted a schedule story today. 
Uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to, if someone remembers to ask me late in the year, and for whatever reason, I think I'm just going to drink a bunch of holiday themed alcohol at some point in time in December and uh, spill the beans on some things that really pissed me off. Um, someone asked me about how the schedule story came together. Uh, w- only one out of the 18 races uh, I did not have directly confirmed from someone who knew. Um, but all that stuff aside, yeah, so that's a, that might be a little fun story to share if I'm uh, <clears throat> a little loose in my in my, in my goose. So, other than that, uh, Andretti Autosport confirming what we've known and I've been reporting truly, unfortunately, for months now that Ryan Hunter Ray uh, won't be returning. They confirmed that uh, today. Uh, spoke with uh, one driver, trying to connect with one or two others to just do a. Uh, I don't want to say a, a farewell because we hope there isn't a farewell, but at least do some sort of, hey, man, you really contributed an insane amount to IndyCar during your full-time career. And if by chance it's coming to an end full-time at least, let's just pay tribute to you because he deserves that. Uh, he really, really deserves that. I uh, was told that someone else is reporting or, or no, I think Groschamp is saying that the deal isn't done or whatever, or he isn't signed or some sort of whatever uh, with Andretti, which uh, I don't know if it's a direct swipe at me or not, but um, I'll hold off on telling you all the ways in which that is, and this is an earmuffs moment, complete bullshit. Uh Yeah. Let's just say it's not uncommon for a driver to say such things, intimate such things, etc. cetera. Uh, totally get it. Uh, it, it. There's nothing, quote, personal about it, but it's totally personal. Um, but anyways, yes, weird how Romaz positioning things like, hey, nothing's done. And then funnily the next day. <laughs> and Dreddy Autosport comes out and says, hey, uh, we need to let you all know that officially we're, we're saying farewell. So uh, who knows? Did something go totally sideways? And uh, Lewis Hamilton is leaving at the end of the year, even though he has a, a new contract or an extension. Uh, Lewis is going to the number 28 car. We're breaking exclusive scoop hashtag right here. Um, yeah, uh, all I can tell you is... The exchanges with the aforementioned, uh, not directly with the driver, but through his people and whatnot about uh, where he was going and the timing and could you hold the story and da, 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 like, God, it's all good, man. Say whatever you want. Call me out. I don't care. Uh, none of that stuff changes reality. That's the thing. Sorry, I said I'm going to save this for later, but I just the stuff I I never get because it's like. Okay, you can tell everyone the sky is purple. If that's what you feel you need to do, do it. But, man, we all are going to look out and see it's real color and it's blue. And I don't know. Do your thing, man. Do your thing. Best of luck. thousand points of light. Stay the course. All right, we need a little bit of intro music. It's salty to open. I don't know why, and I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm drinking coffee out of a uh, Le Mans sports car mug. Maybe that's the problem. Someone 
tweeted, by the way, hey, you need to do like a double French fry show and have Romain on there with Sebastian. And I didn't respond to that because, yeah, uh, I can just say that I don't believe Romain will be uh, speaking to me anytime soon. But eh, whatever. Life goes on. It's funny, isn't it? It's funny. Um, it's funny just because you realize the other things in life that truly matter that, you know, without overstating the obvious, kind of deal with every day on the home front. You go, okay, dude, uh, whatever, man. Like, if it makes that makes you happy, be happy, brother. I'm going to keep doing what I do with you or without you. So there you go. I should edit this out, shouldn't I? No, I'm not. This is what we call drunk MP when I'm not drunk. But anyways, we're going to get rolling here. Our man, Jim Kaiser, the fine man known as Jim Kaiser, who puts together the weekend IndyCar driver, or I guess I should say guest Q&A, uh, and then also our listener Q&A, which we have here. Well, indeed, happy I'm going to get to see our man, Jim, at uh, Laguna this weekend. Uh, so, yeah, going to get to see Jim, get to uh, say that, he is just a greatly appreciated member of this uh, little podcast family and makes my life so darn easy. So what are we going to do? We're going to roll off with, I don't know if you saw, there was a motor race at Portland. There was a slightly contentious turn one. <laughs> uh, I've yet to get too far down my rewind column, which I need to finish here. That's also part of the quick turnaround weeks where it's like, you know, I don't have a lot of time to noodle on esoteric things. Just fire the thing out, you dummy. So as soon as we're finished here, I'm going to try and get that knocked out. But uh, we got questions about Portland. We got questions about Miller, questions about starts, questions about me. You always have questions about me. Pruitt, are you truly, truly capable of doing this at a high level? No, no, I'm not. Uh, so we're going to open the show with our pal, uh, Tij de Becker. Did I murder your first name, T-H-I-J-S? Um, I think I did, and if I didn't, I'll be disappointed. Uh, just simply asked, had fun? Referring to, it might be the shortest question ever sent in. Uh, six letters and a question mark. Had fun. I did, uh, Tej, I did. I had way more fun than I expected. Once I got to Portland, the track itself, I got there at about 6.15 a.m. Saturday, and I think was there till about 7, so whatever, 13-ish hours. I enjoyed almost every moment of it. The only part that I would say nobody enjoyed was uh, being there for the 9-11 memorial at uh, 7.28 a.m., but that part you would probably expect, but yes, I got to see so many people that I haven't seen, so many dear friends. Uh, there were just a crazy amount of hugs and fist bumps and everything else. The downside was with it being a two-day kind of bang-bang event. I mean, keep in mind it, it's two days, but really it's a really busy Saturday, and then the race fires off a little bit after 12 o'clock on Sunday, so it's really about a day and a half. Um, there's no way to catch up with everybody. So uh, I was texting with a couple of friends who I saw or said hello to, or they said it, hello to me quickly. We will uh, catch up more at Laguna in Long Beach. And then, uh, yeah, there you go. So, yes, had fun. Thank you for asking. Uh, let's move to Mark Pesky. 
P-E-T-H-K-E. Did I do that right or wrong? Pethke? I'm not sure. Uh, I always fight a lisp, so uh, I'm a little sensitive of trying to pronounce a last name that has a T-H. Pethke or Pesky? Not sure, Mark, but nonetheless, awesome. It says MP. NBNC? Sure. This is my unpolished turd of a show for the new listeners. Uh, NBC showed in the pre-race. The media area had a tribute seat for Robin Miller stocked with his favorites, ding-dongs, Pepsi, and a raided box of donuts. Admit it, raiding the donut box, not saying you did it necessarily, was a tribute to, wasn't it? I see how it is, Mark. We're already kicking off with the fat jokes, man. Uh, Okay, ding-dongs. Yeah, if Miller loved (laughs) ding-dongs. Okay, sorry. I didn't really think that sentence through. Um, He was not a big purveyor of them uh, in my presence for all the time we worked together. So, yeah. Uh, So, for talking accuracy, would have been a lot of uh, bubble gum and candy corn and, like, all the low-rent candy. Not the stuff that you see at a brand name gas station not a chevron not a bp not a sitgo or whatever else like the family run off brand we siphon fuel off of you know uh, trucks when they're not looking type joints that type of food like triple off brand generic candy chips you name it one of those gas stations like that's the kind of stuff miller usually brought to the track so again we just got to be clear miller wasn't going and finding like the quality stuff you loved as a kid it was this is the cheapest crap you can get and it's not like oh it's all i could find like he'd bring this to the speedway so his hometown lots of options where to go and the guy always gravitated towards yeah that's going to cost you 37 cents mr miller for that 19 pound bag of sugar you candy whatever you just bought so anyways uh didn't actually make it up to the third floor there that's the main media center i prefer portland to sit in the little kind of construction site type trailer they have behind all that uh just a little bit quieter a little bit easier to get work done there so I actually didn't make it up to see it. Um, I don't know. I wasn't overly compelled to need to go see it just because, right? Like, that's my guy. We worked side by side for 10 or 15 years, so I saw it all the time. So um, didn't eat the donuts. Haven't actually had any sweets, sugar, dessert, uh, donuts, whatever, for a couple of years. Uh, sodas, so uh, I've lost a little bit of weight by doing that too so um i would admit it if i ate them but uh, i didn't i i'm sure i wanted to mark i mean let's be honest but you know a little bit of self-control there uh mention this it's not a done deal but i'll make it a done deal um on a similar vein or if not identical vein i think it was the day after robin passed uh, i sent ims president doug bowles an email and said hey Let's make Robin's traditional seat uh, one or two down from me on the left of our traditional row at the Speedway. Um, Let's make that his in perpetuity because that is something 
we really, really ought to do. So the goal, hopefully, and Doug seemed to be super open to this, and let's just keep that with there that among ourselves right now. Uh, not that posting it on social media would be the end of the world, but we haven't come back on this to, to kind of finalize it. But um, the Robin Memorial sticker, um, at least from my suggestion, was uh, I'll have that printed large, one or two feet wide or whatever it is, and we'll put that where he sat, and then we can take that chair away, and I don't know what we do if we put an X there, you know, whatever it is. My note to Doug was basically this. Um, this is where he and I sat, but, you know, where he sat for the last Lord knows how many years. Um, there is a scenario that I would hate to see happen, and that is for someone to do the planning for who is sitting where in the rows for the Indy 500 and for some unfortunate person from Indy cars with a Z be cool.net to get placed in Robin's seat or to just mistakenly sit there on their own because I would grab them whatever size and pick them up and throw them down the stairway shaft. Uh, and that would be bad. So please don't, have me convicted of a homicide and let's please kidding aside, although I'm kind of halfway serious, but let's just do the right thing and make sure that nobody sits there. That is dedicated space to uh, one of our legends and heroes. And it's going to suck more than I can imagine being there next year and the many years ahead without that nut job sitting next to me with the candy, with the longs donuts, with the fried chicken, with the this and with the that, it's going to be brutal. But that was his. It should be nobody else's. Think of it like the journalist's equivalent of retiring an athlete's jersey and Doug, because he's an exceptionally good human being, right away was like, yeah, totally. Let me, we'll get it figured out with my team, but yeah. So, uh, cool to see that happen on its own at Portland. I'm guessing it will probably happen at more tracks because Robin was a huge presence at every track we go to. So nonetheless, uh, really happy to see that. And thanks for sending that in Mark. And I hope I didn't murder your last name. Uh, Lee Batera says, will there be an additional run of the Robin Miller t-shirts? I don't believe the run ever stopped, Lee. Uh, that would be a visit torontomotorsports.com. That's a plural, motorsports, torontomotorsports.com. And his uh, the Robin Miller 2020 uh, presidential campaign tease, which is kind of what we, uh, we turn them into with his, uh, I don't have any hobbies, I gamble, I go to races, and I'm an asshole. Um, yeah, so those, I don't think those have ever stopped being available. I don't know if they're going to be available forever though. So I would check the site quickly. Uh, would also say that, uh, the hats, for example, uh, there, there's a batch of the hats that have been made, have been sold already, uh, with that, like the one that I wore last weekend, um, I would say that that is something as well that uh, if you wanted one, don't wait too long because I don't know if there's those are going to be available 
uh, forever. So I think that might be kind of a, yeah, we will run one more batch, but um, these are meant to be maybe a, a limited run, not something that's just always there. Uh, Dylan Burgett says, all right, Pruitt, dish for us. Which teams refuse to run the Robin Miller sticker? Says, I may have to finally join Twitter just so I can light them up. I believe, I do believe, every team ran them. The only one that I did not see them on was Team Penske. Uh, I ran into my man, uh, Myron Booslog there. Saw him early Saturday morning, handed them off to him. He said he would hand them off to Kyle Moyer, and they would go on the cars. I did not see them on the cars in the opening practice session. Keep in mind, I was meant to be there Friday at around noon, and that would have given ample time for those to be handed out as the cars went through tech, for those to be put on. No worries, super easy. Uh, we had a uh, an appointment come up kind of last minute, so that made me shift my flight to get in at about 9 o'clock. So that's why I was there at 6.15 or whatever to make sure that since the cars had already gone through tech, uh, and receive whatever stickers that they needed, including uh, those 9-11 tribute stickers, uh, just walked up the paddock and handed them out to everybody. And actually, uh, while sitting at the airport waiting to fly, I texted every single team manager uh, or team owner saying, hey, sorry, I suck, was supposed to be there today, but can I come find you in the morning and pass off these Miller stickers to put on the cars? And every single one said yes. So... I don't know if Robin's stickers made it onto the Penske cars for the first practice session, uh, but I do know that, yes, confirm that they did make them on the cars afterwards and were right by the uh, the 911 tribute stickers. So I believe, Dylan, I believe, I believe we had 100% subscription there. What I'm hoping, no expectation, it's their cars, their choice, is for those to stay on for the rest of the year. I think that would be awesome, but again, that's me and what I think, and I don't own the cars or the teams, and so people will do whatever they want. Let's get into the racing. Uh, We got some questions, believe it or not, about turn one. Let me take another sip of coffee. Uh, From Reddit, Drogan1701. believe this might be the first time I'm reading one of your questions. Not sure. This is usually the case with uh, Reddit uh, names, whether you're male, female, or non-binary. But regardless, uh, we appreciate you, they, it, or whatever pronoun you prefer. Uh, Drogan1701 says, In light of having a wreck once again in Portland, I wonder if there's always a wreck at a corner, should the corner be changed? Or does it remain on the driver's to try and not wreck, even if they keep failing time after time? Huh. So, great question. Uh, should also mention here, if you have sent in a question that is similar to, say, Drogan 1701s or some of the other topics that come up, and you don't hear your name read, it's not because we don't love you. It's just sometimes we get the same question asked by a bunch of people. And Jim, I've asked Jim to just pick the one that he likes the most or thinks is the best fit for the show. So, again, uh, no disrespect to those who asked something similar uh, to Drogan1701 and didn't have their question called, but just know that your question is a part of us 
helping to uh to get to some of the topics here that hopefully you enjoy um couple things that stood up drivers who made mistakes on turn one lap one uh that involved contact would be felix rosenquist so first time second time at portland uh so not a rookie but not a a veteran veteran uh romain groschon definitely first time there and also callum eilat definitely first time there now i mean who what oliver Askew spun on his own right uh as well so felix is the one with you know the most experience of all those that i mentioned but by and large it was first timers making oopsies i wonder if there's something there for us to consider i know that uh, in some of the past wrecks there um it certainly wasn't limited to uh rookies first timers and and whatnot but uh, that stood out to me as oh, okay folks who haven't really done this in a big pack before uh yeah a couple of y'all got it wrong would i say that if we were to look at other races that some of the drivers have competed in throughout their careers if not directly at portland right uh in an indy lights car or something else could be on the formula one circuit formula two f3000 pick whatever it is where you go yeah throughout the world there are definitely some circuits where you go bombing down a straightaway slow to a crawl and make a really hard turn left or right so whether it's into a chicane or just uh, left or right and you keep going turn one portland not exactly a unicorn in motor racing so you would think just about everybody if not exactly everybody that tried to do this sunday at portland has either done it there before or done it at other tracks where you go yeah yeah uh, the possibility of, of people kind of pooping the bed is high. And I've been in this scenario in a group and, huh, uh, caution and everything beware. You would think that would be the prevailing wisdom that everyone would adhere to. Unfortunately, some folks need to go through an experience for the first time at that specific track, maybe in a new car, Callum being someone that stands out, you know, first IndyCar start, first pack arrival at a uh, a sharp chicane in an indycar first this that and the other sometimes sadly even though everyone's like look don't put your hand out the dog's gonna bite some folks need to get bit before they go oh yeah 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 no that was a good point you raised maybe i shouldn't um so i'm not being trying to be dismissive i'm not obviously this is another thing where you go Please keep this in mind. Nobody went into that corner wanting to run into one another and potentially end their day, ruin their day. None of this stuff is intentional. I think you might have a question somewhere about was it intentional. Um, None of the folks who have been involved in these turn one, lap one crashes, or heck, even leaving turn one, as we saw a couple years ago with Dixie and Marco and Dreddy and flying and all kinds of stuff. Obviously, nobody wants that. 
it happens nonetheless. Why? Well, humans, not robots, are controlling the cars. And yes, therein lies the problem. So answer your question and move on to some of the other turn one and start related questions. Should they change the part of the track that's a problem since it seems like the people who fire into that portion of the track every year and it's always a modified group right it's an ever-changing cast but no matter what who's in the cast we always have this problem or even on restarts as well what should we do there i would like to believe that drivers can go through that corner and not run into one another it's been there for 20 years 30 is it i forget the exact duration i remember being down there either the first year it was there maybe the second Uh, again my memory's a little fuzzy early 90s comes to mind i think it was a sports car race like an imsa race maybe 93 or 94 and seeing if not huge crashing into one another just folks spinning and misjudging where to break and how to avoid so it's a huge challenge cannot you know it's not easy it's clearly not easy otherwise uh, we wouldn't be talking about this human judgment reacting to others going into the same corner and what they do uh overreacting or underreacting right uh you see someone move to your right and you turn way hard left and uh, bull you just ran into somebody because you didn't realize that they were coming alongside you um we could even say underreact right with felix uh, felix hit dixon first then hit Pelot, hit both of them in the right rear tire dixon it appeared harder than Pelot, but it unsettled dixon who then locked his brakes and had no chance of getting through the corner and then while steering away having nerfed dixon felix I think, again, to a lighter degree, but still caused a problem for Alex, nerfed him in the right rear. Um, And he locked up the brake. So all of a sudden, you have two drivers who, again, I believe, I watched the replay many times. Maybe I missed it, but it didn't look like Dixon and Pelot had locked up before Felix uh, got to them. But regardless, uh, even some of the best, Uh, have problems and so i just have to hope that indycar says we can do one of two things we either go straight and bypass the chicane but then everybody has to downshift to like third gear way way before we get to the uh the first i guess what we would then call turn one the right hander there like we're just going to force everybody to go on the speed limiter at some point uh, way before the corner so everyone slows down. But at least it's a narrow thing, right? It's only about two and a half cars wide compared to five, six, or seven. Do you do that? I mean, that used to be the way that track was run before the chicane. Heck, I think I might even remember when the chicane was put in. There might have been a series or two that raced there and bypassed it, but... I mean, that used to be the thing. You fired out a turn 12 that we call it now onto that front straight and went barreling all the way down till you got to that uh, right-hand corner. And it was a fairly 
I guess, simpler track if you subtract the uh, chicane. But, yeah, the narrowing process uh, seemed to relieve some of the crashy, bangy, running into one another type thing. So maybe that's something to be considered. But then you also have to keep in mind, well, the speeds are going to be like really high when they get there. So it's a trust thing, right? Can we trust you all to not run into one another? We keep telling ourselves, okay, <laughs> I believe that I'm going to put my hand in front of the dog this time. That's not going to bite. Ah! And you're missing a couple fingers. So again, do you keep hoping and being disappointed? And do we just automatically say the first 10 to 11 laps of the Portland Grand Prix is going to be under caution? Because that's what it's been for a little while now. Um, or do we make modifications as suggested here to the track? The last option, I don't know if I'm going to get too deep into this here because I'm writing about it for the cool down lap thing on racer.com, is race control. They came up with some rules about, well, hey, if you blow through the chicane, this is how we're going to reorder you in the event of a crash and a caution and whatever else or whatever, whatever. But other than self-preservation, other than not wanting to take themselves out, hurt their championship chances or whatever else, did IndyCar establish anything with the drivers to say and if you do run into each other and if you do miss your braking zone what Groshaw like sailed through I mean I don't know what corner he was braking for but he was carrying so much speed that um, I don't know like I just don't know but is there another option here where IndyCar just makes it super clear look if you hit another car and I don't mean like one driver hits you and knocks you into another car and there are three of you and all three of you uh, who are involved in the crash get penalized. I'm talking about the instigator. If you hit another car and cause that car to do anything other than make the corner successfully uh, and it has any damage on it, if that car has to, even if it makes it through the corner and there's no caution, but it has to pit at the end of the lap because you cut a tire, you smashed a this on it, whatever. If you do anything in turn one, lap one, that negatively impacts another driver, you are going to come to pit lane and sit for five laps. And if you happen to hit someone hard enough and bust your suspension and theirs or break your motor or whatever, and you're done on the spot and they're done on the spot, guess what? The start of the next race, you'll be on pit lane for five laps. Pick whatever it is. It could just be one lap. I don't know what it, but I'm just saying some sort of, I want every single driver going into turn one to be professional and trying to improve their position because that's what race car drivers do. But I want folks to be so afraid of the repercussions of sailing through the the thing and hitting someone else because hey i forgot where the brake pedal is or i'm going to turn left and right or hey i'm going to win the race on the first corner or whatever else i want folks to think about controlling yourself and everyone getting through the corner successfully so heavily because of the penalty we've put in front of them that if that still doesn't work well then maybe we do have to rethink how we start this 
race. Uh, I think I've mentioned this just as an abstract thing on the show maybe once before. I watch, I've watched boxing forever, mixed martial arts for a long time as well. And whenever, <laughs> for example, a MMA fighter kicks another fighter in the uh, twigs and berries, painful thing, stops the fight. They give the affected fighter five minutes to try and recover. But it's a uh, whoa. Sometimes you'll have uh, one fighter mistakenly poke the other one in the eye. Um, same kind of thing. Uh, hit the pause button, give the affected fighter some time to try and recover. Um, what you will often hear from the referee is once they've got the hurt fighter kind of in their place, giving them some time to recover, they'll walk over to the aggressor, the one who committed the foul, and not only threaten them, next time you do that, I'm going to take a point away, but also tell them, you are in charge of your weapons. Be careful with your weapons as to not foul your opponent. The bottom line is, where you place your leg when you're trying to kick that fighter, or when you're putting your hand out trying to jab or gauge distance or whatever, and you poke the other person in the eye, you are in charge of your fingers and hand. You are in charge of your legs. Control your weapons, or I'm going to have to penalize you. It's the same message in my mind here, and I'm not talking down or whatever to any drivers. Look, they're so stupidly talented on higher levels than anything I'll ever do in life, right? I'm just saying someone who's raced a little bit and done this for a while, you see patterns and trends. It's the same thing y'all are asking here. Like, hey, this always happens. What the hell? There's another option, right? There's, well, there's hope that everyone will do things correctly. There's change the track or at least how you start. Uh, So maybe you do the first lap by blowing through the chicane And I don't know if uh, the corner workers then run out and put the styrofoam stuff to kind of block that easy passage when they come around the next time, but hope that something a little more single file entering the chicane on lap two will be easier. Do you move the the start to somewhere else on the track, which Kurt uh, Kurt Pose, I know you're uh, asking about here. Should we do that in the back straight? What should we do? Alternate start line. The third option to me is the you control your weapons. If you don't, we're not going to give you a warning. Telling you ahead, before the fight starts, kick the other person in the crotch, jab, poke them in the eye, immediate penalty, immediate, and so meaningful that you will never again miss and kick them where you shouldn't or poke them where you shouldn't. Um... I don't know if it's one lap, five laps. I don't know what it is, but something where you go, hey, they're really serious about us not turning this into a poop show again. So, uh, yeah, let Pruitt's podcast be the unpolished turd. Let's not have every year's start of the Portland Grand Prix be a turn one, lap one, unpolished turd. So that's my little soapbox moment. I'm stepping off. Uh, Danny Nohops, he also mentioned something here about, you know, we don't want to turn things into cookie cookie cutter tracks. 
I'm so glad this isn't live. I actually it'd kind of be fun if it was live because the torn of hate would just be amazing. Uh, mentioning, you know, should we change? Is there a layout? Like truly redo turn one somehow. Um, you know, when they did first install the chicane, and I think this was like around 1990-ish, if I remember correctly, uh, IndyCar did use it, but it wasn't the come to a comparative start, park the thing, spin the steering wheel right, kind of move over a little bit, then spin the steering wheel left and and try and take off again. It wasn't the parking job that it is now it was a you got a downshift once or twice but it was a i don't know if there's a proper term for this form of chicane but i always just thought of them as kind of a continuation chicane right we're not genuinely trying to bring you down from high speed to no speed and have you like just kind of trot through the corner and then reaccelerate hard it was kind of a if you're rattling down the front straight, uh, top gear in sixth, you might you're going to have to brake. But we're talking about downshifting to fourth, maybe third, but you know third and a quick upshift back to fourth is a qu- pretty quick little blast through it. So it was a, a modest chicane. This one again, seemingly I think you're down to first gear. Like yeah. So is there a thought maybe Danny and and kurt you know do we is there an alternate chicane they could add where the current one is just for indycar uh where you go yeah you're gonna veer to the right a little bit and then back to the left and keep going but uh yeah this isn't such a shut the car down to nothing uh speed wise i don't know is there something in there does that make it worse do we get nine drivers trying to go through at 150 miles an hour instead of running into each other at, you know, uh, 80 or 90? I don't know. Uh, but I'm glad y'all are not happy about this because, yeah, uh, I don't know if anybody is. Uh, let's see. Now, this one I like. Ben Cohen, I think you might actually have the perfect, perfect answer. It says, MP, hope your weekend back at the track was even better than you'd imagine it was. I also said thank you to uh, the French Fry for all the coverage. Serious question. Should the start to Portland be done with the drivers being blindfolded while driving in reverse next year? That's the only way I can think. The turn ones, incidents, uh, they'll be a thing of the past. Uh, and he also says, uh, it's always strength and positivity being sent your wife's way. Thank you, Brother Ben. Yes, blindfolded and driving in reverse. Doesn't that sound amazing? And let's get rid of the steering wheels. Let's make them joysticks. Like old school, when I started, quote, esports, gaming, racing stuff, and this is so sad to say, but in the late 80s, there really weren't any steering wheels. Uh, it was a joystick because there were more, way more kind of flight simulator type things than there were racing games. So anyways but yeah let's let's just get rid of the steering wheel and make the drivers use uh true joysticks that is what i would recommend uh all right we got a little bit of conspiracy theory as we uh, wind down the turn one lap one let's bump into each other's bums uh conversation here 
Andrew Dry Belbis says, what are the odds? Felix Rosenquist was told to cause chaos in turn one. The comments over the radio were very odd. Why would a crew chief say that uh, IndyCar appreciates him not wrecking the championship contenders? That sounded to hashtag me personally like crew chief speak for a job well done. So I haven't taken the time to ask my pal Craig Hampson, who is the strategist on Felix's car, and who was the voice you heard. So it wasn't the crew chief, uh, Craig Snoop Hampy Hamp, uh, being technical director there, uh, but also Felix's uh, race strategist. The comment was something about thanks for, uh, you know, I'm sure IndyCar appreciates you not hitting, uh, you know, not running into, you know, the championship leaders and uh, so on and so forth and good job there. And so I'm going to ask him about when I see him at Laguna because it was a little bit cheeky. Maybe he didn't see it clearly. Maybe he didn't see all the angles. But no, Felix did actually hit uh, the guy who was, what, first and third or fourth uh, in, in the standings. It wasn't hard. Neither, you know, Dixie's car and Alex's car weren't hurt. Look, Alex won the race. So, again, uh, quote, no harm, no foul in terms of wrecking. But, yeah, uh, that mistake certainly caused a lot of anxiety till some caution periods took place and the alternate strategy that the uh, Ganassi cars went on and what uh, also uh, Rossi and whatnot, uh, if not for the decision to have all them pit on lap 10 just before the race went uh, green again and jump onto that three-stopper, if not for that decision, um, yeah, this would not have had the you went from first and then got kind of biffed and then found your way back. That would not have happened. So, uh, yeah, um, didn't wreck them, I guess. So that part's clear. Did not take them out, but certainly did not uh, make no contact. Nonetheless, um, I would just say this. If that were to have been an instruction, go into turn one, uh, make it look like you just broke a little bit too late and uh, hit one or two of the Ganassi cars because right or New Garden was behind him, so that wasn't an issue. Obviously, he wasn't going to try and take out his teammate Pato Ward. Uh, if that type of instruction were given, a it'd be a shocker. Uh, there are some teams where I could think like, yeah, they probably do that. Uh, this doesn't seem like how they get down. Um, other thing too, is I think Felix would tell them to go do things to themselves. Let's start with the letter F. Um, yeah, uh, just, this doesn't seem to fit the character of the team or driver in question. Famous last words, right? Again, you know, uh, but I just can't see it. It would also be a pretty risky thing because if you look at the contact that Felix had with Dixon and then Alex, Super slight. It looked more like he either broke a little bit too late or Dixon slowed a little bit sooner than he expected, knowing that, keep in mind, Dixon being on the inside line trying to get past uh, Palo, which he did, um, you're not way out to the left and able to break and swing and still carry speed kind of across the apex of that uh, the inside apex before you get to the sh- true, you know, left-hand portion of the chicane. He's on the inside, which means he's having to slow his car 
entirely in a straight line and then turn. Can't use the turning phase to also slow. So that's why the car on the inside. If you go back to Silverstone, Formula One with the Lewis Hamilton and Verstappen crash. One of the things not spoken about enough, I think Anthony Davidson spoke about it a little bit, but again, conspiracy theory that Hamilton was trying to take him out and whatever, whatever. He's on the inside line, right? Any slowing that he's having to do, uh, he has a shorter window of opportunity to do that because of where he is on the track. He has to get his slowing done earlier than if he was on the outside line and able to continue that uh, slowing while entering the corner. Uh, Same thing here. So did Dixon having to break a wee bit sooner to make the corner and hold the lead catch Felix off guard? I don't know. Um, I can just tell you that with how it happened, it was so slight of a touch with Dixon and then even slighter with Alex that Felix would be have to be like ninja grade uh, takeout artist to have done no damage to their three cars while negatively affecting the two Ganassi drivers um, and continuing forward from there where he had just what earned his best qualifying of the year being fourth. And while, yes, we know the team has told us he's going to be back, um, hey, you've just had your best qualifying performance and your best chance of having an excellent result we know your teammates vying for a championship but we want you to try and throw away your best potential start uh, and finish by magically minorly touching uh pato's two rivals going into turn one while not hurting yourself but knowing that by the rules if you do that there's chance that you're going to get shuffled back uh, when they reposition the cars and so on and so like that is some 3d chess that I'd love to say, Oh yeah, we can totally pull that one off, uh, successfully. I just, uh, it strikes me as crazy to believe that they would have tried that Andrew. Uh, let's see. Right. Turn lover, our pal from Europe, right. Turn lover says, uh, hashtag me personally, Indy cars, turn one, uh, resort the field rules look a bit ridiculous says a hashtag alpaca alex did nothing wrong and lost oodles of positions yeah i'm kind of sort of writing about that and i'm trying to figure out how to do it best in my uh, cool down lap column here right turn lover so yes alex is the one and only driver member of our prude collective he's a good friend and all those things nonetheless regardless of personal relationships and so if he'd made a mistake i'd say it and just that's the reason why I always have a couple of drivers mad at me because I'm going to be honest because that's what I'm supposed to do. Uh, so in this case, Alex was an innocent bystander. Uh, Dixon, I'd say too. Felix made a mistake. It's not a big deal, right? Didn't end the world. Alex went on and won. Dixie's right behind him. You know, third position, I should say. Rossi being second, but. Everything came out good in the end, but this rule, there's just a lack of imagination. Hey, if you're part of a crash, part of a whatever incident, and you go straight at the chicane, well, when we reorder the field, uh, coming back to green, 
you're going to get put behind all the people who made it through the chicane successfully. Okay, I understand that thinking. Um, where I think there was a failure of imagination was there really need to be a third option here. Uh, so if you made it through successfully, you know, ran over those two timing loops uh, that you could only get to if you do make that right-hand turn and go through the chicane successfully, well, then you are whatever position you are holding that going into the yellow. Those who were involved in the incident, uh, assuming they could continue and maybe got through the chicane before those who drove through it the correct way, well, y'all are getting put to the back of the uh, line of those who made it through successfully weren't involved. Failed to imagine what if there's a Palo-like situation, right? Let's say... Rosenquist never touched Dixon, never touched Pillow, and Dixon just locked up his brakes and went to sail and ended up sailing through the corner while Alex is right alongside him. Dixon in that scenario, I could understand the series saying, hey, dude, you messed up, locked up your brakes, sailed through. You're not holding your position. When we restart, we're going to move to the back. Okay. Hello? Truly, you had a defender blocking you the whole time. <laughs> Blocked your shot, man. Uh, if you tried to turn right to make it into the corner, you would have hit another car. So you just happened to be alongside a person who had locked up the brakes. And since you're at a similar rate of speed, there's no option for you to like pull the parachute and still make a right-hand turn. You probably would have been piled into by a bunch of cars behind you but just the point being there's no consideration given to what about the driver on the outside being blocked who can't make the corner because of someone locking up a brake in this case we know dixon was nudged but who cares no consideration given to that person or any other drivers who were physically unable to make it through the corner run across those timing loops be recorded and hold their spot so that explains why Polo, I think Rossi and maybe another driver as well, were fairly vocal after the race in the post-race press conference about, yeah, I really kind of need IndyCar to explain that to me. So for those who aren't at fault, who didn't mess up and were unable to make the corner because of someone else's mistake... I think there needs to be that third option of IndyCar saying, well, you get to maintain whatever position you had when you when you were starting the race or wherever you were. I know that might take some extra time here, right turn lever, to figure out, but there were at least one, maybe more truly innocent bystander, Sturs, who received a quote, reorder penalty and got sent to the back for no fault of their own so if we're thinking of race control as judges right driver stewards who are judging right or wrong yes or no on penalties there's judgments on either one it's either you get a positive judgment no call or a negative judgment uh, and you are negatively affected in some way 
how you assign a negative outcome to an innocent bystander, I think is that's where you go, yeah, failure of imagination here. We've seen this scenario again many times. Even if you've never seen it in IndyCar, you certainly will have seen it in other forms of racing that have turns like turn one at Portland. Um, I think that's where there's a little bit of a raw feeling. can also tell you uh, as we move on to uh, the next topic here, been enough calls this year that feel like they're ticky-tack. A lot of them happen in qualifying blocking penalties where you go, I know what blocking looks like. That's not blocking. And yet, two fastest laps are taken, whatever. Uh, was Groshaw was the one at, at Portland here. But again, we've seen this happen multiple times where you go, wow, you're, you're willing to make these really minute judgment calls where nothing looks really egregious. Could you argue, yeah, you might have slowed the other driver by a zillionth of a second. Okay, I get it. Every starting position is important in IndyCar because the field is so close. Totally get that. Well, if you're willing to make penalty calls and yank people out of the fast 12 or fast 6 or whatever because you deem that they, for a fraction of a second, got in someone's way during qualifying, maybe cause that other person to, instead of starting whatever, 6th, they're starting 8th or ninth if you're willing to look that hard into these little tiny, call it microaggressions in qualifying and penalize anyone who you think is a whisper of doing something wrong, all because every position matters, why the hell would you not apply the same level of scrutiny at a corner, at a track, start of a race where we know this always happens. And there are indeed some where you go, yeah, Hey, uh, there's no reason for you to be starting that far back or there's no reason for you to be here or there because you did nothing wrong. So let's apply the same level of scrutiny to find out who really deserves to get thrown to the back of the field and, in theory, uh, have their day made exponentially harder. So there you go. Uh, let's go to Riley Stricker. Says, hey, MP, first time question. Thanks, Riley. Love it when y'all send in questions for the first time. Has been attending the Portland races since the early 2000s. Been super happy my home track as IndyCar again, but really missed having the entire Road to Indies attendance. Says, why no Indy Pro or USF 2000? Says, also really missed the MX5 Cup cars. Well, we totally agree. I always want the Road to Indy everywhere. So we're, we're aligned there, Riley. Uh, MX5 was with IMSA last weekend, so they were racing with their fellow sports cars, I should say. Um, in Monterey, not totally sure on why the other road to Indy ladder series weren't there might be overstating the obvious, but you know, the calendar was set a little while ago and, you know, I don't think it was a surprise that they weren't there, but there is a bit of a natural expectation that, Hey, uh, if you're not at every round, why is that the case? Um, I have to wonder if part of it is cost. Indy Lights, million, 1.2, 1.3 a year. You know, it's not a joke financially. Uh, dispatching everyone out to the West Coast, I don't know if that's something I want to do with the uh, lower rungs. 
where we're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands for the season. Those are the kinds of costs that a, a great organization like uh, Anderson Promotions, Dan Anderson, his daughter Michelle Kish, uh, Rob Howden, run down the list, all the fine people who are part of that organization. Um, I can see why they would say, yeah, uh, most of the teams are the Midwest, South, uh, Florida, whatever. Um, sending them a long way across the country and then back. Uh, I see how that might hold some limited appeal. Last little thing I'll mention here. So obviously Road to Indy training meant to prepare either stars of the future or kind of discern who is or isn't meant for ongoing open wheel careers. They're, They're pretty good at telling Dan and company, hey, this is where we think we should go. This is where we think we should be. These are the kinds of tracks we think are going to prepare our son or daughter's best. And if there's a, a definite belief that, you know, we need the road to Indy to go out west more, go to some tracks that are you know, traditional IndyCar. Uh, obviously, we're talking about just being at Portland, but hey, is it Laguna? Is it who knows where else? Um, they'll tell them. And I have to believe if there's a consensus that we'd rather make that far trek because it's going to serve a, a greater good for the future for our young drivers and crew members and everyone else, uh, they will do it. Just looking at some photos here from 2015 where we had, uh, again, just happened to be from 2015, but so World Challenge, SCCA World Challenge uh, weekend. And so we had the World Challenge GT cars and all the other awesome machinery there and also Road to Indy finales. And so it's Spencer Piggott um celebrating his championship and all kinds of great stuff there and it was really fun having both world challenge and road to indy at laguna uh with one of them saying this is where we're uh we're shutting her down and deciding who gets to be the champs um <laughs> it, was, it was pretty awesome nobody was there sadly i mean there's no audience nobody showed up but regardless i loved it because i just got to drive like an hour 45 south and there you go but uh i hear you um hopefully we get more but i can tell you that yeah if there's one thing that i heard the why aren't they here more than any other series it's the jumpy trucks Everybody loves their stadium super trucks, which were here or there last time in 2019. So, um, yeah, uh, nothing against my beloved road to Indy, but I do believe that if we're just talking fans, reactions, and so on, um, the jumpy trucks, the super stadium super trucks, um, they weren't there, and folks really, truly wanted them there so we'll see what happens next year riley we are going back next year by the way so that makes me uh super happy as well where do we go where do we go i would say we are going to shift down to oh my goodness are we talking about another first time questioner that would be dave bell says marshall first time long time forever listener says, can you explain why Nick waited so long to go yellow for the stalled cars of Callum Eilat and Dalton Kellett? It's obvious they needed a caution based on where they stopped. So why the lack of urgency and why not just let everyone 
get to the pits at that point. Trying to rewind my little uh, mental video camera here, Dave, and remember, did most teams who wanted to pit get to pit? I think so. Um, Before the yellow came out? I don't think so. You wouldn't be asking this uh, if that was the case. I had the same question in my head. It was pretty obvious that Callum was not going to be continuing the party. Uh, And then Kellett being added to that, it did seem fairly obvious that, yeah, these are the kinds of things that would trigger a immediate caution period. Callum, like, again, right away. Um, But it also raises another question. Uh, Robert Thibault asks, whatever happened to local yellows on road and street courses? Less laps under full yellow. Uh, Less chance that the best car driver gets screwed on an ill-timed full yellow. I had a little bit of that thought too, Robert, with uh, Callum's issue because where he, where his car ground to an electrical faulty stop is the, he was on driver's right. That's the crossover point for the track. So (laughs) uh, because I'm dumb, and I do mean this, I'm not just being self-effacing for fun. Like I'm truly an idiot uh, most times of the day. Orday and I were meant to go have dinner. Saturday night. Uh, I was waiting around for someone from IndyCar who never delivered. And again, that's part of the question. Someone will remind me to talk about the end of the year. Uh, I ended up hanging around until about 6 o'clock, and I was done by maybe like 5.30 on Saturday. Um, uh, Yeah. So we were meant to go to dinner. He, being a smart driver, parked on the outside, which means he walked over the bridge and yada yada and was sitting in his car at whatever, 6 o'clock, or ready to go. Um. I parked on the inside, uh, frankly, with pretty much most of all the teams and everything else, uh, and with a lot of crap to bring in each day. That's why I, you know, opt to park on the inside. Well, there was an ARCA West race, and it might have been the least skilled contest I've ever seen in motor racing. And so it was like 57 laps. I jokingly said, I think there's been 56 restarts, uh, cautions and restarts in those 57 laps. It went on forever. Like, forever. It should have been done so much sooner. But it just went on forever and ever and ever and ever. And anyways, that's because they kept running into each other. And since the race never ended, the track crossing never opened. So no joke, sat in the car behind Dale Coyne um, for an hour and like three minutes maybe just sitting and i was at the end of a long line of folks waiting to get out so even when the race stopped and the track opened probably took 15 to 20 minutes just to move that little way to get out um but he stopped right at the track crossover point and so if we're talking local yellow so on the driver's right in a place where other where cars tend not to go could i have seen if there was a emergency vehicle there to pop out real quick and try and tow him out of the way or restart or something possibly i know there's not a great desire to put um volunteers like safety crew and and corner marshals and whatever in harm's way with an active motor race going on but there was a a slight thought of hmm it looks like they could pull the car back through that crossover point and kind of keep the party going but then kellett's car stopped and there was no real place to do that easily so 
Bottom line, though, Dave, and thanks for sending in your first. I, too, wondered what the delay was. Little thing here just to mention, uh, IndyCar race director Kyle Novak is always, like, really cool about answering questions, and I could send in questions every week about all these things, and he'll answer them on or off the record, whatever. Sometimes when I, and I happened to see your question when it came in, Dave, I just say, you know, I don't want, I don't want to ring that doorbell all the time. Um, some, sometimes I'm just okay saying I am with you, dear IndyCar fan. I too don't fully grasp it. And while I know I can get an answer, I don't want to turn this into like, all right, here's the nine questions per race of why did you do this? Why didn't you do that? Um, you know, whether folks do or don't think he's awesome at his job, just like me, who the hell am I to be routinely asking him to answer for what he did or did not? If it's something serious, yeah, for sure. But eh, something like this, why didn't it go yellow as quickly as we thought it should have? I tend to just leave that stuff alone. Uh, where should we go? Oh, my goodness. Do we have another first-time question? Or we do, and your first name is the same as... Tej de Becker, if I'm not murdering Tej, I don't know. Uh, Tej Berendrecht, did I get that okay? Probably not. Uh, make fun of me if I didn't. Just make fun of me in general. Uh, says, this is my first ever question for you. Definitely not the last. I like that a threat. How's the future of Carlin looking? I've heard the possibility that Dan Tictum, Tictum, uh, Tickle Tummy, might join in a second car, but also heard it might be Carlin's last season this year. Also, what is going on at ECR? So, Tej, provided I haven't murdered your first name, um, don't hesitate to flesh out the questions like the last one a little more. What is going on at ECR? I don't know. I'm not, there are many things going on, but I'm not totally sure what you're getting at. Is it that they've had a slight downturn lately? Is it uh, what's going on in the future? I don't know. So, I uh, can't really answer the last one because I don't know the exact angle we're coming from. As for Carlin, all they have told me is they continue to plan for next year to keep going and have Max Chilton as part of that, hopefully, and would love to run too. So I don't have anything new to add that would be different than what I've written or what you might have read elsewhere. <sighs> Looking at how well Max ran last weekend uh in both qualifying and the race and he was part of the troop who were you know uh on the wrong side of of caution timing i thought they did an awesome job but that's not a that's not like a big surprising thing to say uh, other than maybe hunkos hauling or racing and they should be growing rapidly in terms of finances and everything I feel really confident in stating that Carlin's the smallest team in the series, period. Not even a close number two. You could say, what about coin? Yeah, you know, they're not sitting on a wad of cash. I mean, Dale could spend whatever he wants, but um, they're not sitting on unlimited budget by any means. So I'd still put them as a smaller team, but there's no team smaller working with fewer dollars, working, making more out of less than Carlin. So I just share all that because when I see Max run as well as he did, I was happy to see him, uh, I think after qualifying or whatever, maybe uh, the final practice and just like give him a little fist bump, go, dude, awesome. 
Um, I love seeing that. I can only hope they continue. I can only hope that a quality driver, uh, I don't, I mean, I don't know Dan. I only know his reputation. I know from having, you know, read about some of his, some of his race performances. He's a talented driver. Uh, absolutely loathed by everybody that I know that knows him. And like hardcore, like this is not a quality human being. That's what I'm told by those when I've said, hey, what would you think of him coming to IndyCar? Oh, it hasn't been pleasant. So, but hey, uh, if the guy has money to bring uh, to Carlin to do it, and it helps Carlin to be on track more than they are right now with a second car, with whatever, uh, I am fully conversant in dealing with dickheads. Uh, <laughs> so that wouldn't be a surprise. Like, um, I'm trying to think of the last one who didn't make it to IndyCar, but was kind of close. Um, like Dean Stoneman, right? Uh, really wanted to love that guy. Really wanted to, you know, be about it, about it. Just turned into a D bag, and so just genuinely had to cut the guy off at one point like i've had enough man like you know look i worked with miller for a long time i know exactly what a challenging personality can be like and of course i know that he's passed and we all want to talk about the rosy and flowery stuff and he's one of the funniest human beings i've ever met and one of the most charitable guys and again all the things you know we've spoken about he also could be the biggest raging most raging a-hole ever and you saw that side of him, many sides of him every day. And it, if it wasn't aimed at you, you saw it aimed at someone else or something else or whatever, right? Just saying, not unfamiliar with being in a hostile workplace, hostile personalities, blah, blah, blah. If Dan comes here and he turns out to be everything my, my friends uh, in Formula One say that he is, ah, we'll deal with it. Um, I can tell you that if he were to come here and act that way while driving for a a European team or a team with a lot of European folks who, you know, maybe know him, know of him and, you know, the routine wouldn't be a surprise or a shock and they might tolerate it easier. Okay. If he were to drive for an American team that has no time for prima donnas. Right, like, look, if you're multiple championship winner and you're the best, and you're a difficult person to deal with, deal with it. If you're a diva and all those things, deal with it as long as you're delivering those championships. But if you're not, but you're acting that way, like the guy won't last a minute, uh, just at all. So we'll see. Uh, I don't know. Again, it's all reputation to me. All I can do is is listen to what I'm told by friends, uh, read what I've read, know what I've read, have that in the back of my mind. But if the guy were to come here, do my best uh, to treat him as a blank slate and let him build a, whatever reputation of his own, at least in my little book and in our interactions, but not like that would matter because uh, he sure as heck wouldn't be coming here because of my monkey arse. 
Uh, let's see. Where do we go? Jerry Robert Suddeth says, first, I am thrilled that you got to return trackside. Thanks, Jerry. Says your posts on social media were one of the positives of the weekend. Thanks, man. Um, um, I appreciate you mentioning that, not the that you said something positive about it, but the fact that you raised the topic. Let me drink a little bit more coffee and wet my whistle. It was definitely a little bit of a modification in approach that I tried last weekend. Uh, so I'm going to try and do more, not just social media posts, but just do some more insidery things. Um, without Robin there, keep in mind the last time I covered an IndyCar race, Robin was there. He and I worked hand-in-hand hand the whole weekend doing whatever. Uh, I think Seb and I did our hamburger and french fry show. I think Robin joined us for one. Ryan Terpstra forwarded uh, one of those videos a link to me, I think, yesterday, which was fun to see. But um, he and I kind of tackling things together allowed us to split some things up. And so just from a headspace standpoint, Jerry, it's a case of me going, all right, I don't have to do this all by myself. I don't have to think about total coverage of the event from start to finish. I know that uh, while I might be doing the majority of it and leading that coverage, because Robin's here uh, primarily for NBC, there's still uh, you know a tandem aspect to it, and we'll bat around ideas. And hey, you know, I'll do this, you do that. You know, what if I do this? I'll do that. Cool. We, that was always the, the way we did stuff. Um, went into Portland just having to have a bit of a different mindset. I realized none of this stuff matters. I'm just again, trying to share. So we do here on the show. It's not just some black and white send in question, get an answer, talk to you next week, buy stuff from my sponsors. Um, I did come into the weekend, Jerry, with a mindset of it is all on me. Uh, done that many times before, right? Robin's been sick. Robin's been preoccupied. Robin's been whatever. So again, not unfamiliar. When I go to most sports car races to do coverage, 100% on me. It's not a big deal. It's usually, I got to admit, for most reporters, it's 100% on them. So it's that's, again, not strange. But there was a definite adjustment required here, knowing that he and I working together as a combo for so long, this was the first time doing it solo, and knowing that there was no one else. And so I just tried to take a little bit of a different social media strategy, a little bit of strategy involved, saying, well, hey, in the past, seen me do very few videos, posting anything just straight up to Twitter or whatever else, instead of everything going through Racer. Uh, or back in the day, road, uh, Speed, I should say. So just trying to change it up a little bit, realizing that I don't always have the time to sit down and do some edited video that's uploaded to this and captioned to that and blah, blah, blah. And keyword, like, look, I'm going to talk into the camera with a person for a minute or two, and I'm just going to hit the go button, which makes it go to social media. Just going to try and do more of that. Why? I don't know. But I do feel like if I continued to try and do everything through uh one you know a super formal method i'd get a lot less out to y'all and i also realized that uh, without robin knowing how big of a conduit he has was forever to you all the fans 
that I need to make sure that I continue that tradition. I mean, I've been doing that too, but just try to continue that tradition as well. So if I see somebody that's a friend like Louise that I ran into in the paddock Saturday morning on top of giving her a hug and talking to her and just trying to give her all the love that I could said, Hey, can we do a quick little video? Cause folks who don't, folks don't know you, but they need to know you cause you're amazing and kicking cancers. butt. and while fighting cancer, you're summoning the energy and courage to come here uh, and cheer on your, your favorite IndyCar drivers and teams. And that's amazing. And so I just want to do more of those things. They're probably not all going to be as cool as, as Louise, but if I see a friend, if I see a thing, uh, if, if there's just a little photo I can take, I remember right while we were waiting to do the hamburger and French fry race thing on Sunday, the, uh, the IndyCar fuel truck was coming down pit lane, siphoning all the fuel out of the tanks. And I'm like, I've seen that a million times had to be that person plugging in the fuel probe from a team that I worked for in the past for it to be drained. But I don't know if fans really ever see this or know about this or most do. Cause it's happens long after the TV cameras are turned off. Uh, long after folks have gone home, all the champagne's been sprayed, confetti's fallen to the ground, drivers are cleaned up and off to the airport. Um, but here's an interesting thing of here's this big truck that put the fuel in the tanks before the race and now is coming back to take back what wasn't used. Here's the process. Here's the awesome people doing it who never get recognized. So uh, it's by chance that we're just waiting for it to go by so we can record and get through Seb's um, pit stall. But anyways, so apologize for a little sidebar, but just going to try and think and do more of that stuff, Jerry, of like, well, hey, here's a photo of something you might not see too much, or here's something I might explain that uh, might be interesting, or just here's a cool person. I figure I can do that in those little snapshots um, to a higher degree than I've done. So it's not a popularity thing. Like, if you like them, tell me and I'll do more. I'm just going to try and do it in general. But if there are things and I'm at the track and y'all are like, hey, I was wondering about that. Or, hey, I saw a photo of this thing here. What is that? How does that work? Or why do they do it that way? Whatever that thing is. I can't promise I'll be able to get that answer for you in the form of a photo or video. But don't hesitate to send it because if I see it, I will try. And I don't always catch everything that gets sent my way. These weekends are a bit of a blur, but please don't be upset if I don't respond to the thing you send me on social media because I suck. So Jerry says, does anything phase Alex Pelot to see what he did after uh, the lap one contretemps? Excellent word choice, Jerry. Is a testament to his cool and savvy beyond his years. I... This guy is Teflon. What is wrong with him? It makes no sense. I, I mean, we can throw. We, we already kind of launched uh, hashtag Gorilla Time last weekend with a little video. But beyond Gorilla Time being his, like, is he? Is it bulletproof? Is it Teflon? No stick. I don't know what it is. But the thing that would normally just torment a driver and have their brain twisted from anger and all kinds of stuff. I would have to imagine Alan, Alan, Alex gets pissed and things make him angry. But where I think the, the extraordinary thing, 
with him happens to be is I don't think he lacks those same emotions as any other driver. It's just he gets through it faster than seemingly almost anybody. Uh, maybe, well, he was that way last year while driving for coin. Um, I think that approach is something he would recognize and see within Dixon, Scott Dixon, that would only confirm like, yeah, it's actually a really good thing. Uh, yep. The bad thing happened. You can't chase, change it. Keep it moving. Uh, so yeah, I would say without doubt, without a doubt, Jerry, everything will phase Alex Pillow because he's human. But I think his ability to turn the page and have that, like the, they talk about with NFL quarterbacks who throw an interception, right? Race it from your memory. You got to keep playing like it never happened. If you dwell on it and you throw your helmet and you're kicking the bench and going on a tirade, you've taken yourself out of the game mentally and it's going to be a fight to get you back. Uh, Alex just seems to be the guy who, yes, uh, wipe the board clean and keep going like the thing never happened. Wow. Just wow. Uh, Andrew at Mullay, M-U-L-L-A-E underscore style from the tweeter says, is there any concern from Ganassi, the Ganassi garage, that if Alex Polo keeps winning, he'll end up looking like Juan Pablo Montoya, hashtag fried chicken. Talking about Alex's girth, first of all, he's a skinny 0% body fat guy, so hate him completely, whatever, Alex. Uh, Yeah, I think the guy has shown that he has control like few others. So uh, while loving fried chicken, I don't fear he's going to swole up like JPM or my balloon like self. So I think we're good there, but here's a little secret. I don't know if it's a real secret. It isn't, but I'll just say it like it is. Um, Alex and I plan if we can time permitting uh, in and around Monterey uh, and then maybe even long beach to go and find uh really really good burrito and i know it's kind of generically called mexican food obviously there are many countries from uh, south america where the owners of the establishment will bring their uh whatever uh country's angle on this uh style of food but there's a goal right there and alex says he loves burritos and is always on the lookout for something new and different and creative so one of the goals is to introduce him because introduce him to this at least uh, not quite central coast, but definitely a little bit south of the Bay Area here. But Salinas uh, being a big agriculture town, uh, really amazing and beautiful, beautiful history uh, there of so many cultures from uh, Latin America. Now, granted, uh, we'll save the plight of the migrant workers and a lot of really nasty things that have been done uh, for another podcast. But I can at least tell you that for the uh, truly beautiful people uh, who are either locals or have come to the uh, greater Salinas and Monterey area um, to work within the agriculture industry, one of the great gifts has been food from pick the country, whether it's Guatemala, Honduras, and so on, where you go, I'm going to go over to this restaurant here and so that's what Alex 
from Spain is wanting to get a little bit more flavor of since, believe it or not, uh, Indiana is not among the world's greatest uh, South American food uh, destinations. So uh, beyond the fried chicken, uh, that's something we, uh, we're going to try and partake in. And now that I thought of it, if she has the, the time, my wife being raised in the state, the southern state of Alabama, uh, fried chicken, as she makes it, is unlike anything I've tasted anywhere else. And I love it. It's amazing. And if she has the ability, I just thought of this, I'm going to see if she might be able to whip up a small batch that I can bring with me for Alex on Friday. Now, he, because he's a sweetheart, said that, well, on my first race back, he was on Poland Juan, so now I need to go to every race. Uh, I love that, and trust me, if I could go to every race, I used to go to every race forever, but it's been a little while. Uh, Maybe Mrs. Pruitt's homemade fried chicken? And a little bit of taste of that Friday morning before activities kick off on track. Maybe, Andrew, maybe if he gets another Poland win. I think we know the real power being demonstrated here. And it's from uh, from my wife's amazing, amazing hands. Uh, let's see. Where else do we go? Uh, Jeffrey May. Sorry, this is later in the show. I should have mentioned this earlier. I believe our pal Mike Joachim from Pit Lane Parley also sent in this question, and there might have been someone else as well. But we're getting close to wrapping up, so uh, hey, maybe this is uh, a nice little backstop to the show here. Says, uh, well, thanks, Jeff. Says, love the content with uh, being at the track and uh, hamburger and french fry stuff. Um, says, can't imagine how funny it was with Robin. Yeah, uh, boy, yes. Stop making me sad, Jeff. This is my question. What ended up being the issue regarding Pato Awards' lack of power? Well, I asked Chevy, and I asked Air McLaren SP President Taylor Kyle what the problem was. And both of them reported back there was no problem. So that's not them criticizing or that's nothing negative leveled at... uh, the little snuggle bunny, uh, AKA Pato. Think what we saw was he had a not happy chassis balance. Think the rear tires got burned down a little quicker than was optimal. And I seem to recall there being more opposite lock than would be desired coming on to the back straight and the front straight. And so if you are spinning the rear tires and having to feed opposite lock to catch a slide, you are both winding up the motor prematurely and then needing to shift sooner than uh, is optimal, but also slowing your launch onto those corners. So the theory is Pato talking about a lack of power. I interpreted what he was saying was not at all times I have a lack of power, but hey, when I'm getting to the end of these longer stretches where you tend to pop out and try and pass somebody, I don't seem to have much there. So is there a lack of issue power? Am I in the wrong setting, power setting, fuel setting, whatever? Um, I think the easiest way to describe it is 
the handling being off led to him losing a little bit of, of speed uh, and authority launching off the corners. And as a result, it robbed him of that top speed coming into the corners where you tend to pull off the passes the easiest. Most of the rest of the places you might pull off a pass at Portland. And I just said a lot of words with the letter P in the beginning. Uh, not really a place where uh, the motor um, or you being down on, on top speed because of wheel spin is going to affect your world. So, yeah, I think it's just not a motor power thing and not a setting thing. Also told, before we move on to the next one, and thanks again to uh, to Jeff and Mike and anyone else who asked about this, uh, that same motor will be in the car uh, this Friday and is meant to be in it uh, the following Friday at Long Beach. So uh, no issues to speak of, no changes to make, just a little bit of a situational handling thing uh, that took the car's effective top speed down uh, more than that uh, amazing race car driver was expecting. Uh, let's see. Uh, Thomas Gross says, what is the rule on restart acceleration? It seemed like Alex Pillow took off on the back stretch last time. Uh, it says, I guess it stops accidents, but it also seems very early. I apologize if I've gotten any part of this wrong. Uh, I believe the same general rule that you'll see on an oval is the same as a road course. Um, can't pass the pace car. Pace car needs to be in the pits, out of the way, whatever it is, before you uh, accelerate, start accelerating for the restart. So if you want to follow close behind the pace car and then wait for it to pull off uh, and go straight into the pits and then accelerate, you can. Or if you want to slow the field and let the pace car uh, get a good long run and basically disappear and pull into the pits and wait for your, uh, whether it's a spotter or team manager or strategist who's watching and observing the pit car, tell you while you're on the back straight, go, 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 because they've just seen that point in time happen where the pace car is out of the way and you can go. Um, as long as the pace car is clear, if you want to call it that, uh, to my knowledge, you're able to go. So it really is uh, up to the driver. Uh, unlike NASCAR, where, and I think, what, maybe even does IMSA? I don't know. But NASCAR has their, quote, restart zone where you go, oh, okay, well, that sucks. Uh, I like this, right? A little bit of gamesmanship, gameswomanship of, all right, well, hey, I'm in front. Why should it be equal for everybody? When we race, it's not equal, right? If I'm able to pull away from you because my car is faster or I'm a better driver, I can, well, if I'm leading, why the heck can't I go when I want and put you at a disadvantage? Because the minute the green flag waves, all we're all trying to do to each other is put each other at a disadvantage. Uh, the leader has the right to lead the field, so lead as you desired. long as the pace car is clear, um, you know, you're ready to go. If the green flag waves by chance and the person in first is not aware you know uh, again depending on the series their rules that say you cannot pass anyone until you get to start finish again every series seems to do something different but you know we've also seen times where the leader has fallen asleep uh missed a shift what had a electrical glitch something where you go hey they're waving the flag and you're not going like you should guess what 
boom, we're going by you. So good and bad can happen here. Thomas, I'm I'm totally fine with it. Uh, Jordan Darwin talking about, did turn one have any track limits? Bunch of cars cutting it severely. Does it need policing? I feel like we've already covered that quite a bit. Um, I'm not a big track limits guy, Jordan. So, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll leave that there. I'm going to make an effort to fire in as many questions as I can here in the next 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, I try and end the show at about two hours. Don't always succeed, but, uh, y'all sent in a bunch of great, truly this week, y'all really sent in a bunch of great questions. So, uh, I want to get to as many as I can before we say farewell. And, oh, Rock is now grooming himself and making sure his paws are all clean so later he can dig them into me. That's really nice, buddy. Uh, let's see, where do we go? Nathan, Nathan Wolfel. Why am I mispronouncing so many people's names and words? I don't know. Um, I'm trying not to, but I'm unable to. I'm kind of like a driver going into turn one, aren't I? No, I shouldn't, but I do, and... What's my penalty? <sighs> me being me. Uh, it was mentioned on the broadcast that in qualifying, the difference in lap times between the Firestone primaries and alternates, eh, somewhat negligible. What are the track characteristics that make that the case? Also sending positive vibes to my wife. Thanks, Nathan. Eh, track surface quality is certainly one. Um, we have some tracks, like we're going to Laguna Seca this weekend, which has not been paved in forever, and it is worn down. The track surface, in a very general sense, uh, in the corners, is worn down and polished like a fine gem. That doesn't give tires a lot of something beneath them to dig into. There are none of the little nooks and crannies. There's none of the little pockmarks and divots. I'm exaggerating. There are, but they're just not much, like barely anything there. So you see cars with tons of downforce piled on them for the most part uh, to make as much downforce as they can to make up for the lack of grip the track is helping to create while contacting the tires. So mentally, I think of track surface and tires rolling over it like opposite sides of Velcro. And if you think of the track we go to, and again, this varies from track to track, newly paved, you'll tend to be very high grip, Older, worn down, very low grip. Some will use slightly different track surface materials, some that help kind of reach up and grab and, you know, a little more jagged, some that aren't. Uh, The aggregate material there is not, you know, super friendly. Someplace it could be. So that's one thing to keep in mind. So if we're talking about, hey, is the track surface going to be a player in helping to make the car stick to the ground and create better lap time, that's one thing to think of. Um, In this direct question, though, I don't know if I would put the track surface in the mix so much about why would the primaries and alternates be so close. 
Uh, I would say that's more a case of what Firestone has done with their choice of compound construction. There's not a like crazy amount of construction changes from track to track. Uh, it's more on the compound. There often be some smaller construction changes, but it's really the compound of that rubber hitting the ground uh, that tends to change the most. And so if it's super soft, and I'm just using extremes, if the primaries are really hard, you, if you tried to dig your fingernail into them, you, you couldn't. You'd bust your fingernail. And then you go to the alternates and try and do the same thing, and like your whole thumb goes in. You're like, wow, look at that. These are like gum, and these are like granite. That would be a choice Firestone made in how they made both kinds of tires, and their performance differences would then be demonstrated on the track as such. We would think at a place like a Laguna Seca where... <laughs> the track sure it it's velcro is gone um you would think softer primary first of all but also even softer alternates would be the direction they'd go and that would help compensate for a lot of what the track does not help with but in terms of the track say making the alternates just go ah, and shine and be amazing but then the track interacts with the primaries and says screw you man it's not so much the track turning on one or turning off the other there is some aspect of that right but it's more the decision uh of which tires are brought to each track to uh to suit the needs Uh, let's see lawrence cunningham says all kinds of nice things like he normally does because he is a sweetheart and i should also mention lawrence if we're talking about IndyCar fans, and also I'm fortunate to have Lawrence um, and his wife as, uh, as listeners of the show, um, anytime there's a charity anything, anything, Lawrence is there uh, just automatically. And so if there's a sticker to buy, a T-shirt, a hat, a signed autographed print, or this, like... You just always see his name. And I can only tell you, man, you're so appreciated. And I hope you are not only an inspiration to others, but I hope others follow in your image. And I'm not talking about whatever stupid charity things I do. I just mean in general of like, hey, if you had wanted to help a thing and you weren't sure whether, you know, it's worth doing or not, like, just know that Lawrence is someone who is a constant reminder of uh, if I have the extra funds to do it, I'm going to do something to make someone else's day, someone else's life better. Like, it's just amazing. And I got to know Lawrence through the show here. Uh, so when I tell you thank you, and I thank you all for the questions and everything you do for my wife and I, it's because of folks like you all and folks like Lawrence. So there you go. All right, back to IndyCar. Uh, it says, what a crazy points battle. Who's going to hold it together? It says, big props to Alex Pillow after two bad results. Neither his doing, neither of his doing. Taking pole and running a great race. Got to think maybe Alex can do it. What happened to the ding-dongs? You know, give me a break. 
All right, look. Again, I know that even though I've lost weight, my starting point was so high, like you'd never know. Speaking of losing weight, saw Mark Miles for the first time in forever and didn't recognize him. I mean, I did, but like I recognized his face, but I'm like, wow, you have less face. And then I looked down, I'm like, you have less body. Like, wow. Told me he's lost in the last like year, year and a half, 68 pounds. Like truly, I'm like, man, I'm so happy for you. So just Sharon, great to see Mark. And I'm hoping he and I can catch up a little bit more this coming weekend. Uh, so I don't know about the ding dong. Leave me alone. My thought coming into Portland. So if Alex is listening, I apologize, dear friend Alex and Dixon as well. But my thought leading into the weekend was, I think when we are done with Portland, when we're heading to Laguna, I think Joseph is going to be even closer to the lead. But I, I think Pato and Newgarden are going to be the two who are fighting for the title, and one of those two are going to win. And that estimation, Lawrence, is because these are the two best that we've seen this season at comebacks, fighting from some position that they don't like and doing big things to get either all the way to the front or close enough. And so since they've been able to do that in multiple races, and since I haven't seen Alex do that, I haven't seen this year Dixon really have to do that. He's had a couple of storming drives, don't get me wrong, but just the... Holy cow, look at what Dixon did, right? We haven't had one of those this year. Of Alex's two wins prior to Portland, uh, I don't know if I'd say either one fell into that category. Might have had a great second at Barber if Pato hadn't had some issues and definitely was gifted Joseph's gearbox problem at Road America, right? Hadn't seen Alex say, F you, I'm taking it. It's my victory. Seen that from Pato, though. Seen that from Newgarden. And even if those two hadn't won, or, you know, at an event where maybe they didn't win, it was, F you, I'm not finishing sixth, I'm finishing third or second. Get out of my way, and they did it. Things that I hadn't seen from Alex so far, or Dixie. And then we had Portland, where they both said, all right, Pruitt, you're a moron, we know that, for further confirmation. Uh, we're taking first, uh, second, or third, whatever it is, and okay, cool, we're getting this penalty, and we're, we're you know, reshuffle penalty, we're going to the back, cool, whatever. Uh, yeah, of course, caution timing helped. Without the caution timing, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But we do know that leading up to the race, these two needed big results and got it. Uh, I know that Alex wasn't far behind Pato coming into Portland, 10 points or whatever, Dixon a little bit remote, though. Dixon really could have used that win. What did we see him do going into turn one on lap one? Say, hey, teammate, thanks. I'm going by you. And on one of the restarts as well, uh, or I think not, one of the restarts uh, chased down Alex and got by him again, right? Um, Alex then put in some great work uh, leading up to before and after pit stop and got ahead and blah, blah, blah. But these were the two drivers, funnily enough, who really weren't super disadvantaged in the championship, but these guys needed to come up big and did. Hadn't seen that this season, and 
I'm having to shuffle things coming out of Portland, Lawrence. So do I think Laguna Seca, low grip? Granted, like I said, they've got a zillion pounds of downforce dialed in, but still having to stay on top of the car, crazy fast hands, dancing nonstop. Why do you think Colton Herta, the last time we were there in 2019, pole disappeared? It's because he is just about the best there is in the series at doing that. Dixon, also excellent at doing that. Rossi, also excellent in that regard. Uh, Pato Award, excellent at doing that. If he can do that and keep the rear tires under him, would I be surprised if he was on pole first row, second row, and then if not get the win, finishes second? No surprise at all if that were to happen. This guy's speed, balls, and fast hands are tailor-made for a track like Laguna Seca compared to one where there's just so much grip at all times that everybody's kind of at that super happy, comfortable place on every lap. I think Pato can do big things. Joseph as well. He is clutch. So even though Joseph didn't have an awesome uh, event, an awesome outcome, you know, again, it wasn't tragedy, but it certainly wasn't, woof, wow, boy, everybody watch out. We, uh, we're the, the best, we the best, be best, whatever. Um, yes, not awesome for the two Chevy-powered title contenders, uh, but not terrible. Uh, Joseph's a little farther back than he wanted. Dixon, He absolutely needs to win this weekend. No worse than second, I would say, if he wants to maintain a okay chance of getting his seventh title. It feels like the gap to Pelot, Um What, 49 points? You know, there there's, what, 108 points total available across the last two races. If we assume Alex finishes the race and in a decent position and Pato finishes the race in a decent position, even with a win by Dixie and a pole and all the maximum point 54 maximum points, he would certainly carve into those leads, but it wouldn't be some gigantic overhaul. So again, uh, since we can't predict the future and what adversity might strike uh, Polo and Award and even New Garden. Just saying, uh, Dixon cannot bank on their problems elevating him. Only thing he can do at nearly one full maximum race worth of points available. Again, 54 max per race. He's, what, 49, I think, uh, back almost a full race arrears from his teammate no option 100% and granted it's not like the guys ever like oh, I'm gonna cruise around ah, we'll see what's am I gonna do he's gonna be flat out just like we saw at Portland all he can do I would just say the big thing the we gotta acknowledge I mentioned it in a tweet after the race uh, Alex drove for the team for the very first time in November, in a test at Laguna Seca. Uh, the team's been there testing twice 
this is an important thing, a very important thing to consider. They tested at Portland. Alex credited that test for helping them to be on pole and win. Air McLaren SP also tested there. Uh, They were super quick. Obviously, Felix was the fastest of the two drivers, qualifying fourth. Um, Already spoken about the race. Know that Felix didn't have uh, the best start, at least, but did rally to finish sixth. Pato, a little bit of a harder day, uh, fell back to 14th. That certainly didn't make anybody super happy there. But uh, I'm just wondering if Ganassi's doubling up at Laguna is going to end up paying off when it comes time for them to go for pole and go for the win uh, this weekend. So this is going to be awesome. That's all I can say. This is going to be awesome to see how strategery put in place by some of these contending teams uh, months ago, if not last year, to go out to Monterey to test and try and learn and study up knowing that it would be at the end of the championship. And if there was a place to be good at or a place or two like Portland, I know that there was a test at gateway before that, that a lot of teams went to. So some teams were stronger there than others, but I just got to wonder, will, if Palo or Dixon ends up winning the title, will their choice to test at both Portland, the, next to next to last race and Laguna, the penultimate race, if either one of them ends up winning the title, do we credit that decision, right? A long time ago, people sitting in an office going, huh, well, you got like four private test days a year. How should we use them? Maybe we should backload things. Uh, Maybe we should look at the end of the championship, assuming we're going to be in contention by the time we get there. Uh, maybe that would be our little secret sauce to make things really play out. If Polo wins or is first, second, or third, or you know is close uh, to Pato here in how Laguna finishes, uh, again, it's going to take some fairly extraordinary, dramatic, you name it stuff, I think at Long Beach, uh, for us, Lawrence, to be seeing Alex taken out of that position. So again, we can't predict the adversity. We have no clue. Folks go sailing down into turn two at Laguna Seca and misjudge breaking and do dumb things, so it's not as bad by any means as turn one at Portland, but, you know, you get some dumb stuff there, too, if you're not careful. Um, can I just go ahead and, and say a little prayer to the racing gods to, uh, if you have adversity waiting for us over these last two IndyCar rounds, please make it for folks who aren't fighting for the championship and just let the purity of competition come through. Please, uh, good Lord, Father, racing gods, uh, let Alex Pillow, Pato O'Board, Joseph Newgarden, Scott Dixon, and we won't forget Marcus Erickson, although I believe he's almost mathematically out of it, but he's not. But he's, it's, yeah, it's not going to happen. But nonetheless, please let these five upstanding members of the IndyCar community race without interruption, without mechanical malady, without people doing dumb things by running into them front side, back top bottom, please Lord, let every pit stop happen, uh, with, uh, excellence and efficiency and let all the fuel go into the cars, including Alexander Rossi. Uh, although he's not in the race, please, 
father racing gods do not let zach veach's car catch on fire again and please allow all of the laps that you have allowed us to have at laguna seca in long beach to be run with a minimum of yellows hopefully no reds and none of the top five in the championship being derailed in any way so their natural talent and the investment of their parents their sponsors their school teachers their husbands wives sisters secret families secret husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends pets uh and any imaginary friends as well can all celebrate whatever they're meant to have without any sort of ridiculousness ridiculosity from impeding upon their getting to the checkered flags and letting a natural state of competition dictate who earns the next Astor Cup and is hailed in perpetuity as the 2021 NTT IndyCar Series champion. In the race in God's name, amen. Okay. Uh, sorry. I just closed my eyes and talked like an idiot there. Uh, where are we going to go, Lawrence? So, yeah, uh, Alex, to your point, I, I thought it was going to be Pato and Joseph coming out of Portland to recap. I still don't think that's going to change. I wonder if Dixon, who's known for these Hail Marys, he's going to have to do some hailing of Mary, and she's going to have to respond twice for him to get title number seven. Uh, If Polo can do what he did, which we hadn't seen before, do what he did in Portland, if he can do that at Laguna, oh, boy, this is going to be interesting. But, yeah, part of me was thinking... Get those congratulations, Pato Award on your first championship banners. Uh, I don't know if anyone is ready to send those to the printers, but I'm glad they didn't because we got uh, we got some more scrapping do to do to see if that's going to come through in his end. Uh, Jordan Darwin, MP, did you bring any golden bowling ball trophies to Portland? Seems like a major oversight. Not bringing something of the sort. You're right. I'm glad you called me out on that, Jordan. Seems like Groshan might have been uh, Groshan's incident might have been the most optimistic. I agree. I mean, it, again, it was a mistake. Sometimes I wonder if folks realize that before becoming the most sympathetic race car driver in the world with what he went through last year, you know, Roman had a Roman had a reputation for being super fast. I don't know if I'd always match that with consistency. So mistakes, erratic stuff like. It seems like he's put a lot of that stuff behind him, right? He was, and I know that Sato raced in Formula One, but he was kind of Sato, uh, kind of Formula One Sato after Takuma left. Um, pretty much like Sato has expunged that from his record, but, you know, the little mistakes here, there, you know, it's not totally uncommon, just we haven't seen that side of him for a little while. Uh, Steve Sell saying it appeared that attendance was way down at the Portland Grand Prix. Um, Mentioning, did you hear if there were any fan apprehensions to go to the race due to what took place in Portland during the height of the pandemic? Um, Are we talking about the cable news, talk radio, Antifa, and Black Lives Matter uh, gangs are just waiting to shoot and kill everybody? Uh, fear-mongering stuff. I don't know if that's what we're referring to, Steve, or the federal, trying to light the federal building on fire. Like, I don't know. I can't imagine 
if we're talking about people flying in from wherever in the country who wake up every day and uh, poison their brains with cable news and talk radio creating that fear and whatever else, I'd say yes, there's probably a high possibility that folks who look to others to tell them how to think and what to fear uh, would absolutely uh, steer clear of the place because it's just one raging out-of-control zone. In reality, that's not true and it has never been true, but that's whatever. Uh, Folks who live locally, which tend to be the majority of the folks who go to motor races, um for reasons that I can't explain, did not come out in as big a numbers as we would hope. Uh, is it truly just COVID related? Hey, uh, they're mask mandates and, you know, it's still a concern. So we're just don't want to go out and be around a lot of people. Is that part of it? I don't know. Maybe I know that financially a lot of people are still hurting and fun money that might've been used in 2019 to go see a motor race might not be something that as many people uh, have in their hands or pocket to uh, to spend. So being away for a year usually doesn't help when uh, you've been gone for a long time. We did put on a couple races, what, 2018, 2019, but then we're gone last year. So I don't know. I wonder, Steve, if any one of those three or all those three things, sorry we missed you, uh, there's a pandemic still going, and maybe your money isn't as green as it was. Wondering if some of those things had something to do with it. Can't tell you a word about promotions. I have no idea. Wasn't up there beforehand. Didn't really check in with anybody to tell me, yeah, we see it on TV, hear it on radio, see billboards or whatever, um, digital banners. And I, can't, I don't know. But, yeah, it looked a little soft, and I was sad for that. Uh, Jeff Greendike, you're talking about IMSA and IndyCar start times. Uh, who thought it would be a good idea to have two races start an hour apart uh, on the same broadcaster? Yeah. I heard that IMSA's rating was not excellent for Sunday at Laguna. I haven't seen IndyCars yet. I'm not saying it isn't out there. Just saying I haven't seen it. I wonder what it was. And yeah, I don't know, but... It does seem to me that IndyCar and IMSA, which were once pretty good partners, co-partners, IMSA's previous version as the American Le Mans series, um, I don't know if either one is strong enough to consistently go head-to-head and potentially take ratings off of one another or force people to pick and choose between. I would think... An IndyCar fan would probably be loyal to that IndyCar product, but who knows, might want to switch over to the sports cars or vice versa. Um, boy, I was speaking with a team owner today, not Brian Herta, who I mentioned, but someone else, um, on the subject of, yeah, both series need every single point zero 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 one percent of a TV rating that they can add like never before. Like you just can't afford to lose anything more scrutiny, more. Should we be spending money here? Is it still a value, whether it's an auto manufacturer or a sponsor or whatever? Like I realize that these are all competing brands, 
IndyCar is different from IMSA and from this and that series, and they all want to beat each other. I get it. But at least for those who are below NASCAR, which is everybody that isn't NASCAR, I do wonder why there is not a, a greater effort to steer clear of each other's lanes on the calendar, on start times, on whatever, because you might think, hey, we got the great slot. We're going to kick the other one's ass. Sure. You're also going to lose a little bit because there are some fans that are going to pick and choose and choose not you. And, yeah, you might win the ratings war, but your ratings are going to be lower uh, than what they could have been. So I know none of the people listening to either series, uh, none of the people running either series is listening to this, but in the hopes that somebody is and they might want to question their practices the days of like yeah let's go head to head and we're going to kick your ass and this is like a, a match a, a dueling thing of who can be the baddest like yeah we don't have enough fans for that to really be a thing anymore you're only hurting each other okay uh robbie berger and you got a chassis setup question for laguna kind of got into that a little bit just about the tire stuff so i'm going to pass there raymond wong says marshall any reason why robert mcginnis the andretti autosport indy lights team Seems to have fallen off a little bit. Says he was second chasing Oliver Askew. Um, won a race, had a pole, took six podiums in 2019. This year, he's scraping by with only two podiums. Not let a single lap. Has he reached his ceiling? I don't think he's reached his ceiling by any means, Raymond. But the depth of the series in 2019 versus what it is in 2021, these are very different creatures. So Andretti was dominant in 19. Obviously, Hunkos with Renus VK was admittedly the one and only consistent challenger to Askew and Andretti. So on a day where Renus might not be running well or as well as they'd hoped, having McGinnis there as kind of second to Oliver uh, was a pretty available thing. You mentioned Wanna Race and Pole and all that awesome stuff. Just a deeper... Deeper field this year. Andretti did not start off with the strength like I thought they would. HMD with GRG. It's been kicking ass and taking names. Andretti's finally rebounded a bit, or I should say has finally. Andretti finally rebounded. Kirkwood started doing Kirkwood things, winning races. He's been the one consistent uh, form of opposition to HMD and GRG. HMD and GRG are... Man, that is a tough one, two, three type unit there uh, with Malukas, with uh, Linus Lundqvist. Got to meet him last week, and that made me super happy. I uh, didn't get to meet Benjamin Peterson, by the way, but those three, again, uh, that's a kick ass trio. Uh, really, it's been the Kyle Kirkwood show at Andretti. And we're seeing a bit like we did between. Uh, Askew and McGinnis, we're seeing the same bit of performance separation between Kirkwood and McGinnis. So do I think Robert could have an IndyCar career? Yes. Do I think he would have a race-winning, I'm-a-badass IndyCar career? I haven't seen that from him. Again, these are things we hope. These are the reasons you go and do the road to Indy. Some truths are revealed. And... I haven't seen the thing that says Robert is meant to become a champion and star in IndyCar, but I also would say that if he has the financial ability to transfer upwards, uh, he could certainly be there and I think be a, a 
solid mid-pack guy who has some nice top 10 performances from time to time. Would I say sports cars feel like they might be something that's more sustaining for him that he could do for 10, 15, 20 years? Yes. Obviously, he already has some IMSA experience, but, you know, uh, you do Indy Lights for a second year or a third or however many you need if you feel like there's still something left to learn and prove. I would not think that Robert needs another year of Indy Lights. I would say that if he has the ability to go to IndyCar, do it. Uh, If that's not an option... I don't know if he needs to beat his head against the wall trying to do more lights or fight and spend a fortune of sponsors, money, or whomever to get the IndyCar. So I don't know if there's great, great uh, career, champion caliber career options awaiting him. And that's pretty much representative of 99.9% of us on the good old planet Earth. Um... Ricky Zagata, you have a nice question uh, about 9-11 and Zanardi, but I'm going to pass on that because I just can't think of an answer. Going to get to a couple more. I know that we've gone past the roughly two-hour I'd mentioned, but whatever. Uh, Doug Cole uh, says, you and your wife are hoping to catch catch me in the paddock last weekend. Sorry that I missed you there, my friend. Um... I want to share that yeah, you wore your uh, hashtag Robin Miller kid. Let me tell you something. T-shirt from torontomotorsports.com and got a lot of nice, great shirt type comments and a few nice conversations about him with my fellow fans. Still in a bit of shock over his passing, and it really feels weird to not hear from him after a race, but it felt good to know so many others are missing him. Um, can you share if there was much conversation in the paddock about Robin? <sighs> You're a funny guy, Douglas Cole. There was nothing but Robin Miller talk in the paddock and the media center and at dinner and everywhere else on the pad in the paddock in whatever. Um, yes. Uh, the guy was the guy's IndyCar. K. As much as I like to think I've always been IndyCar, and maybe I have, maybe I am, he's always been more IndyCar, right? Not only forever, right? He was reporting when I was a zygote, but, you know, anyways, yes. So, you know, IndyCar's missing its favorite kind of inappropriate dirty uncle who's always there and made the cookouts and the barbecues so much fun and made you laugh and couldn't believe that what they said and although robin didn't drink you know the guy was a little boozy and like you just you couldn't wait to see him you knew that you couldn't repeat half of what he said because you'd get arrested or, or just you know cast out from society um i mean you know robin was the best he really was and i know he had his detractors and you know i certainly saw some folks that i would say uh probably held their tongues and not saying what they truly thought about him because i know that he wasn't particularly nice to some of those people that i saw some of them he was truly downright nasty to consistently always never flinching you name it but um i think there's just uh, an overarching feeling douglas that we lost someone in something that's 
been super important to the sport. And so, yes, seemingly everywhere I turned, someone either said condolences about Robin or shared a story about Robin or, you know, had some really nice folks. I apologize which outlet they're from. Or I think they said they have a YouTube channel, Grid Life or Grid Something, um, and shared a Robin Miller story. And then another person shared, you know, it was just nonstop. And I think that's going to continue for quite a while, which speaks to the impact and legacy that the guy has created and deserves. Um, I was going to mention something else about Robin 2, and I wish I knew what it was because it appears to have fallen out of my brain. Um, Sorry, if it comes back to me, I'll mention it. Uh, what are we going to do here to wind down the show? Uh, Carmen Goodrich says, MP, second time asker here. First time under my uh, Reddit username. Or first time was under your Reddit username. Says, with you driving for Aaron McLaren SP, ECR, and RLL uh, this year, thought came to mind, what is the most amount of teams a driver is uh, driven for in one season? I don't know, Carmen. I, I'm wishing and hoping that I had things come to mind. Like Mamo Gidley jumps out as the guy who is in a lot of cars uh, for teams on a frequent basis. Maybe the guy who just perpetually has the nickname super sub Roberto Moreno. Uh, I don't know if we could say in the same season, maybe again, maybe he has that distinction, but just like the most amount of teams, I think probably uh, the amount of different racing suits uh, on all the different IndyCar teams he was on, he certainly jumps out. So, um, yeah, a couple drivers who are really popular to do that. Uh, Pagano and his introduction to IndyCar, like the first two or three drives he had in the modern version, not Champ Car when he was there full-time with the uh, Team Australia thing, but um, the Walker Racing Program. But later after uh, when he was trying to get into IndyCar, the former IndyCar series, Indy Racing League, I'm sorry, I drove for a couple different teams, uh, so he would have a couple of suits in modern times. Um, after that, I know Ryan Briscoe uh, done some of that too. I mean, Tristan Vautier comes to mind. So, uh, oh, this is the thing I was going to mention about Robin, and this is again kind of a perfect close to the show. Um, and I'm once again sure that none of the people, actually, maybe they are, but none of the people who've sent these things in are listening or our listeners, but I'll just share this. I get updates almost every single day from our friends at racer and they don't tell me who it is, nor should they, but some sort of update of just thought you might get a kick out of the fact that yet again, another person has sent in a, I'm so dreadfully sorry about the loss of Robin. Uh, y'all must be heartbroken. But hey, you got a roster spot available. And boy, here are all the reasons you should give me my own mailbag. <laughs> ah, are you effing kidding me? The balls. Unbelievable. I've said this before many times since he passed. 
I'll keep saying it. I wrote it in my little whatever uh, tribute to Robin. It was aimed directly at these idiots, and I'm calling you an idiot. And if you know me, and you're one of the people who've sent these in, and I don't know you happen to send that in, come find me. Tell me that you take umbrage with me calling you an idiot. Do it in a place where no one else is around. And let's see how the conversation goes from there. Please, I'm begging you. I would love this. There are human beings that still exist who believe they can fill Robin Miller's shoes, who believe his death is their ticket to employment. And not just that, that they deserve to take over Robin's mailbag. The balls, the amount of self-delusion a person has to have to think they could replace Robin and then put their name on a mailbag. Like, really and truly, it not just angers me because of the disrespect shown to Robin, but this fascinates me to think that there are a continuing wave of idiots who think they are the perfect fit. Well, if you don't ask, you never get it. Yeah, but, you know, there are some things you know to not ask for because it just confirms your idiocy and how delusional you are. Nonetheless, folks can't help themselves from thinking, ha-ha, roster spot, there's an open seat at Racer. Ah, prime seat. I'm going to get that job. I'm going to get that drive. And I'm going to go straight to pole position. Because I'm either going to take over or start my own mailbag. Guess what? There are two or three or four of us who cover IndyCar full-time. I would say I'm the closest if one were to receive a mailbag among anybody. Why? I don't know. I might have been at racer with robin for the last eight years we might have come here together as a kind of package i guess continuing what we were doing together at speed if there's anyone that's going to get a mailbag it would be me why am i saying this because i've told racer in the clearest of terms if anyone was thinking of asking me the answer is no. I would hope no one would ask me because that would mean you wouldn't realize you shouldn't ask because there's no way to replicate what Robin did or his connection with his readers. I have my own mailbag, as a couple of you have told me. It's called The Week in IndyCar, Listener Q&A Show. Never really thought of it in that terms before. Appreciate those who told me this is how they view this show and have for the last four or five years or however long I've been doing it. But if anyone's going to get a mailbag at Racer, if we're talking about hierarchy and who does what and all that kind of, it'd be me. I don't want it. 
don't deserve it. It'd be embarrassing. Pruitt's mailbag. F no. Those Robins. At no point in time should anyone have anything. That was Robins. Clear boundaries. Unfortunately, not enough folks understand that. And the fact that some continue, as in this week, as in the last update was yesterday, sent in a, hey, we're really sorry, and gosh and golly, and tears are streaming down my face too, but hey, I could be your next Robin. And come find me, like for real. Tell me who you are. I, I mean, I just, I'll put my hands behind my back. I'll just sit and listen. Uh, I just want to hear your rationale. Now, if we're talking about, I don't know, Nigel Roebuck, if we're talking about some other 60, 70, 80-year-old reporter who is a journalism god saying, hey, if you need that super extra veteran, been around forever voice and whatever, I'd be all behind. I'd Wow, that'd be amazing. I know those aren't the ones sending in the let me have Robin, the key to Robin's court and his signature weekly communication device with fans. So I'll leave you there because I keep going for a while and I apologize. Thank you to all of you for sending in your questions. I do appreciate them. A little rant at the end. Sorry, it's kind of fun. Uh, again, not drunk, but probably sound like it. Um, just stop it, y'all. Just stop it. There's, there's, it's just, you're embarrassing yourselves. Like, you really are. Like, whatever you thought you might get, you instantly disqualified yourself uh, by sending that in. Even asking. Um, yeah, just blows me away. So, there you go. Um, I'm Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Uh, Rocky's still on my right. Rosie's still on my left. I need to go get uh, dinner going for my wife and myself. Uh, the mayor of Hinchtown is going to be our guest this week. Uh, I think some of you might ask him what he's doing next year. I don't know. It's funny how I can predict stuff like that. Uh, kidding aside, thanks again. And I will uh, be speaking to you here super shortly.